Well, we're starting the Psalms. Um, how many of you have read through all of the Psalms? Um, okay, most of us have at some stage. Uh, I, I think back to the first time I read through all of the Psalms together with my fiancée, um, Fiona, who's now my wife. I think we used the 150 Psalms as a way of counting down to our wedding date. Now, I don't remember anything uh, from the Psalms, but I do remember getting married at the end of that. Uh, hopefully this time round we will remember from God's Word, but it's an unusual part of God's Word that we're looking at. They are songs, they're prayers, they're praise, they're lament. There's all kinds of different things that are going on in the Psalms. And if you have a look at your Bibles, you'll notice that the Psalms, all 150 of them, are ordered into five books. So there's book one, two, three, four and five. And in the Psalms, they tend to be ordered according to particular types of Psalms. So at one point, you'll see that there are some psalms of the sons of Korah. And then after that, there's a few more from the sons of Korah. Psalms from Asaph and a few more. Psalm of Moses, and that's it. But most of the psalms are psalms of David. And unlike many other headings in the Bible, after it says psalm and the number, the writing that's there of David at the time when he was pursued by Saul, that sort of ascription, that's actually part of the text of scripture. And so sometimes we're given an insight into the historical situation that we're looking at. At other times, we don't really have any clues at all. But let me say, I think there's great value in working through the Psalms in order. Psalm 1 is the place to begin. And what we'll see over the next two weeks is that Psalms 1 and 2 are kind of like a gate to walk through to understand the Psalms as a whole. And we'll discover as we look at the Psalms that the fact that so many of the Psalms are Psalms of David, it actually gives us a key to understanding how to read the Psalms, you and I reading the Psalms even now. Well, let's have a look then at this first psalm. And I want to look at the last verse first. You notice there's, in verse 6, it says, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is a psalm of two ways to live. Uh, there is the way of life, the way of the righteous, and there is the way of destruction, that is the way of the wicked. And you'll find both these groups mentioned in relationship to each other in the first verse, where it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners uh, or sit in the company of mockers. So there's a contrast that we need to understand here between the righteous and the wicked and the destiny of the righteous and the life of the righteous with the destiny of the wicked and the life of the wicked. And these two ways are actually significantly contrasted with each other. And so you get verses two to three, spelling out the way of the righteous. And then you get verses four and five, spelling out the way of the wicked. Now, wouldn't it be great if all scripture was that simple? Um, there are two ways here. Uh, they're summarized at the end, they're introduced at the start, and then you get two verses on each. But how do we read it? How do we 
see ourselves in this psalm. Because the psalms are interesting, aren't they? They're God's word to us, because all scripture is God-breathed, that is to be our words to God. There's a, a kind of a double direction, isn't there? God's word that gives us word to say to God. And these are psalms, uh, these songs or these prayers that were intended to be recited by the people of God. In fact, many of the psalms have the ascription for the choir master. Now that tells us that they were intended to be not only said but sung. And sometimes we're given a tune, not that we remember it, um, but like to the doe in the morning or something like that. Unfortunately, we don't have a record of what that went like and there's not even a 78 RPM vinyl available for that. But what we are seeing is psalms, that is songs, given by God for us to address God in the company of God's people. And most of them are written by the king, by David, by the one who is God's anointed. Well, let's have a think then about the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked. Notice here that the way of the righteous is described as the blessed way to live. If you want the good way, if you want the good life, if you want to be where it's at, if you want to have things go for you, if you want to be in the right spot, if you want to be envied by other people, if you want to be truly happy, if you want everything there is to gain, then this is the way to live. Right? This is the good life, the blessed life. And what is it? Well, we're told what it's not. It's not to walk in step with the wicked. It's not to stand in the way that sinners take. And it's not to sit in the company of mockers. No, there's a better way for the blessed one. There's a better way for the righteous to live. And we see it in verse 3. Sorry, verse 2. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. So the way of the righteous here contrasted with the way of the wicked. And if you look at the words that he used here, not walk in step with, not stand in the way of, and not sit in the company of. You're getting more and more established. And the, the blessed ones are those who walk righteously by being different to those who are opposed to God. They are walking, they are standing, they are sitting in contrast to the life of the culture around about them. They are markedly different from those people who have rejected God. Now that immediately would seem to make it important for us, wouldn't it? But we'll come back to that. What do we notice of the blessed way? Well, notice the attitude to God's word in verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on his law day and night. There's a strong attachment to the word of God. There's a commitment to being invested in the word of God. It's something that fills the heart and not just the mind. There's a motivation to read it in the morning, to read it in the evening. 
there's an understanding here that God's word is actually the source of where true blessing comes from. And we see that, I think, with the next image. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Now you've got to remember that this is written in the Middle East. And there are lots of deserts, and the climate can be quite harsh. And I think we've got a picture here of the one that is blessed being like a tree that has deep roots into the water source. Deep roots into the word of God. Tapped into God himself. That's the picture. By contrast, not so the wicked, verse 4. The wicked might look like they have things going for them. They might appear to be blessed. But the reality is that they are like chaff that the wind blows away. You've got a picture of a tree with a thick trunk, with deep roots, tapping down into the water source. Nothing can move it. And then you have a picture of chaff, which the sun burns up, which the wind blows away. That's the perspective. And then, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's a warning that whilst the wicked might be seen to be those who have it, those who are successful, those who are truly blessed, there's a longitudinal perspective that shows that, well, they don't. They're going to be blown away. They're going to be judged. They're going to come under the condemnation of God. Well, there's two ways to live. The blessed way, anchored in the word of God. The wicked way, rejecting God, mocking God, turning away from God. What do we do with it? What do, what do we make of this now? Well, I think there's some wrong ways to approach this. The, the wrong way, I think, to approach the Psalms is just to immediately choose who you want to identify with in the Psalm and go for it. On a good day, you might feel like you're in the righteous. On a bad day, you might feel a bit more like you're amongst the wicked. Um, how do you work out who to identify with in the Psalms? Are you meant to identify with the righteous? Or are you meant to identify with the wicked? Fair question, isn't it? I imagine that most of us go straight for the righteous, same way that we identify with the hero of any movie or story. But what makes us think that we're among the righteous? Perhaps there's a great danger that we might be among the wicked and blown away. How do we work out how to identify? But there's another problem with it as well. It seems to be saying, if you read the word of God and really get into it and do that really seriously, then you'll be righteous and God will bless you. But if you don't, if you oppose God, if you live your own way, if you mock the things of God, then you'll be judged and you won't be blessed. But doesn't it sound like moralism? Doesn't it sound like if you work hard enough, then God will accept you? Doesn't it sound a little bit like if you just kind of 
turn over a new leaf in 2021 and do your Bible reading daily, then everything will be okay. But if you don't, then you... See, is this teaching a a kind of legalism, a a moralism, a, a work hard and you'll be okay with God? Well, that would run across the rest of Scripture, wouldn't it? Or is it saying that uh, we've just got to recognise this is the way it is. If you live according to the word of God, then you're blessed. If you don't live according to the word of God, then you're wicked. But then when you look at the world, it just seems so often just the other way around, doesn't it? It just kind of seems like the evildoer prospers. And by ignoring God and and getting everything you can for yourself, then you're the one who's truly blessed. In fact, don't some of the Psalms actually argue that case? How long, O Lord, until you judge the wicked? Why does the evildoer prosper? Now, what am I doing? I'm just rattling the cage a little bit. I just want us to think a little bit about how we approach the Psalms as Christians. What do we do with the Psalms as Christians? Well, I think we need to recognise that the Psalms are not fundamentally my songbook or your songbook. They're not primarily my prayers or your prayers. The Psalms are fulfilled by only one individual, and that is Jesus. Remember the end of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and there's two men that are walking with him and he opens their eyes to understand what the law and the prophets and the writings that include the Psalms had to say about him. And he helped them to understand how the whole of Scripture was fulfilled in him. So how is it that the Psalms are fulfilled in Jesus? We'll take Psalm 1. He is the one who's truly blessed. He is the one person in history who never walked in the step with the wicked, who never stood in the way of sinners, who never sat in the company of mockers. He's the only person who perfectly delighted in the law of the Lord, who faithfully meditated on it day and night. He is the one who tapped into those streams and produced great prosperity in the eyes of God. You see, how do we approach this psalm? By realising first and foremost that it's about Jesus. If we don't look at this psalm through the lens of Jesus, then we'll arbitrarily put ourselves into it this way or that way. And when we come to more complicated psalms, we won't know what to do with them. So as Christians, we need to recognise that Jesus himself said that all scripture is fulfilled in him. Everything, it says in Matthew chapter 5. So how is this fulfilled in Jesus? Well, as we come to Jesus Christ, friends, so we come to the one who has perfectly fulfilled the requirements of God for you and for me, so that we might ever so imperfectly take on the blessings of what Jesus has given us, So you and I can now come to the word of God knowing that we won't be perfect. 
knowing that we will get sucked in by those around about us, not giving an excuse for that, but knowing that that will be the reality. We're fallen creatures in a fallen world. We have a fight that goes on within us between righteousness and wickedness. The flesh is at war with the Spirit of God and God's Spirit moves us to trust Jesus who completely fulfilled this psalm for you and for me. And so as we come to Jesus Christ first, then we are able to take on board this psalm and delight in it. But if you don't come to Jesus Christ first, if you just grab this psalm, as you might any other piece of poetry, and think, what do I need to do to be among the blessed people? And you work really, really hard to get into the word of God and avoid anybody who does evil. You'll be no closer to God at the end of it than when you start. So we need to recognise the Psalms are about Jesus. And of course, we'll get to Psalms that sound more like Jesus than they do like David. Psalm 22, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a bit hard to understand how David uttered those words, but it's very clear how Jesus did. But friends, Jesus fulfills Psalms of David because David was God's anointed and Jesus fulfills everything that was intended for God's anointed. Well then, how does it help us having come to Christ? Two things I want to highlight. The first is to have spiritual perception. Because we'll look at the world and we'll look at the TV and we'll go down around the suburbs and the streets and we'll look at the harbour and we'll look at the beaches and we'll look at the cities and we'll look at everything out there. It's so grand, it's so impressive, it seems to offer so much. And God has nothing to do with any of it. And we'll be tempted to think that God is irrelevant to prospering in life. And so we need God to remind us that he's not. That this life is not all there is. And that true prosperity, true blessing comes by being faithful to God because there is a day of judgment. And having come to Christ, we have the privilege of being access, of, of accessing the 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 absolute river of life to shape and to fill our lives with, with the blessings that come from God alone. See, it's only spiritual perception that will remind us that, that what our world values is not what God values. And how do we gain such perception? Well, by delighting in the law of the Lord, by meditating on it day and night. I think when it says the law of the Lord here, it's not just talking about the commandments of the Lord. It's a way of summarising the word of God. And as we come to the word of God and as we sink deep roots into the word of God, so we come to understand the way God sees us and sees our world. So we're reminded of the goodness and the grace of God who treated sinners like you and I as we don't deserve. So we are given perspective that this life is not all there is and we look forward to a city in heaven that is full of glory because God shines his light in that place. You see, as we get into God's word, so we are equipped to prosper spiritually 
to be blessed spiritually, to bear fruit spiritually, and to do so for eternity. So as we begin this new year, let's sink deep roots into the word of God. Let's delight in God's word. Let's, let's do that often. Let's dig into what God has to say. Let's plumb the depths of what scripture is teaching. Let's not make this a year where we fill our minds only with trivia, where we're uh, constantly being swept this way and that way by whatever's on TV. Let's not just be moved along by the movement of our culture. Let's not live in fear at, at, at what's going on with the pandemic or with the, the governments or with world politics. Let's remember that God is sovereign over all. And we'll see that next week when we look at Psalm 2. But let's sink ourselves into the word of God. Let me ask you a, a, a very specific question. Do you have a way? Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy? Do you have a, a, a particular approach to getting into the word of God? How do you go about reading it? Is there a right way to do it? Is there a wrong way to do it? Yeah, there's a right way to do it. That is do it. There's a wrong way to do it. And that is don't do it. How do you go about reading God's word? I want to offer you a couple of suggestions as we, um, as we get into this new year. And I'll try and reach back. Here's one idea that I picked up a number of years ago. It's called Search the Scriptures. Some of you seen this? Not many of you. Okay. I decided some years back that I wanted to read the whole Bible, but I wanted a partner to read the Bible with. And uh, this book was a great partner to read the Bible with because it breaks up the whole of Scripture into readable chunks. And every day for three years, if you read a, a a chapter or a part of a chapter or whatever the suitable size chunk is and then it'll give you a few questions uh, that prompt you to be thinking about what the scriptures are saying and maybe even like I did write down some notes as you do that because I find that I learn a lot more if I write things down and then pray about those things that was an approach that I followed to get into the whole of the Bible and I read through the whole Bible and it took me five years to finish this three-year Bible reading plan. Um, didn't do it every day. Kept coming back to it. Um, you might find it beneficial to have something like one of these Bible study guides. We use these, remember, on 2 Corinthians. Well, here's one on the Psalms. It's called The King's Choir, Singing the Psalms with Jesus. Um, excellent little book. Um, I think you can pick up both of these at Kurong. It might be that you want to follow something like one of the version Bible reading plans. Uh, these days, you don't have to spend money. You just get an app, version, get the Bible translation, follow a reading plan. But know that there is blessing to be found by soaking ourselves in the word of God. That's why whatever we do at Salt Church, we look to anchor it in the scriptures. When we get together in our midweek groups, 
we look at the scriptures. When we get together on Sunday, we look at the scriptures. When we meet in other contexts, sometimes we look at the scriptures. So why not make today a day to make a plan, a plan to devote yourself to digging deeply into God's word. And if you want help doing that, please let me know. How about we pray? Loving Father, we just ask that you'll help us to see uh, things the way that you see them. Help us to understand uh, your word and how it points us to Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus has fulfilled um, this righteous man for us so that as we trust him, we too can become righteous. And we pray that we will learn to delight in, in your word the way that Jesus does. And we pray that you'll help us to do that and to help each other to do it. Amen.